Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tone Aries podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Ron is on the deck. Say hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. And in the studio today, we have Colin Healy, not the Cork City manager. No. And better, better Colin Healy than that. Oh, yeah. Colin Healy, originally from Mallow. Um, you're going to give us your story. You're in recovery, and you're going to share your experience, strength, and hope, as they say. And you also are part of a brilliant social enterprise called Sailing into Wellness, mm-hmm. which uh, mixes sailing and recovery and mindfulness and all those things. So I've, I've went on these sailing expeditions myself, which is, we'll talk about all that. But we'll go back, way back for the people that don't know you. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, where you grew up. Yeah, so nice to be here, guys. Yeah, Thanks, I, I, I grew up in Mallow and um, I do fairly normal childhood big into the sports mm-hmm. you know, football ga soccer basically if you hit someone i played it like you know so yeah. it was one of those um <laughs> i didn't play too much hurling because it tended to get split too much of playing that mm. but um yeah i had you know good upbringing my dad was um local politician he worked locally my mom was a housewife stuff like that and you know i came from good home you know and um you know not too much of a difficult childhood, you know. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that difficult. But I suppose for me, the where it started, I suppose I started playing, and I was only thinking about this earlier. I started playing ga, and I was playing set under twenty one when I was sixteen and things like that. And you go in with the lads, mm-hmm. and you go into the bar with the lads, and you have a drink with them and whatever, you know. And um, and for me, the whole I I'd have been shy. It's a kind of social anxiety piece, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of found that when you had a drink you know it, it kind of went to, you know left that easier and yeah, talk to people and chatting and you know and it was, you know so i found that the, it was really kind of changed my personality you know and uh it's everything kind of stemmed from there then you know you know it, when it became you know, you know the matches over weekends and, and different things like that and you know then going to nightclubs and the usual things a 17 18 year old does like you know but I suppose when I think back, it's it was in around 17, 18 that I found that it wasn't so much the quantity of drink, it was what it was doing to me. You know, it, yeah. you know, it was it was a case of uh, depression started to kick in, but I didn't re- recognize it as depression afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'd you'd get a, people call it hangovers, but you know, they come down whatever you know. But I just found that it was. I got more and more depressed, you know, as, as kind of into my early twenties, you know, but still was functioning. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of alcoholics are functioning for a number of years and then it starts to take its toll, you know? So I always questioned, you know, I'd have been more of a binge drinker than a, than someone who would drink seven days a week, you know? And it was got to the point where I it, it, I I got so unwell at one point. I was back in Ireland. I'd gone to the UK for a while and worked over there and came back and came back here. Met someone and things were gotten worse and worse because you you tend to meet people. You tend to meet a partner or a woman mm-hmm. or when you're when you're out drinking or you're in, in your social scene. So it became one of those difficult situations and I ended up uh, having a little bit of a, a meltdown and ended up in uh, psychiatric care. You know, and that was my my first stint in psychiatric care. What age, yeah? I think it was about 23, 24. 
and uh, you know, came out. You know, felt a bit better. Never can really realize what they were trying to do for me inside there. You know, the services. When you think about it, you know, when someone has goes in because of, uh, you know, like I don't differentiate between mental the mental health side of things and the addiction side of things. You know, they're they're inextricably linked. Yeah. You know, and you know what I found. All they do inside there is they they provide you. They kind of build back up a routine. You know, said so you're kind of you eat three times a day, you sleep properly, you know, you and you get back into a kind of a normal routine, and then you're released back out into the, the wild, the yeah. wild world again, you know. And uh, I went through a few phases of that. I, I think it was again when I was 27, I was in there. And uh, yeah, I think that after when I that I was in there for quite for a few, good few weeks when I was when I was 27. And that was uh, still, there was, you came back out and you kind of, you, you, you just kind of tried to sit back into life again, you know, and, and but the routines, unless you, you change the routine, nothing's going to change, mm. you know, unless you change the habits that you have, you know, the, the, um, the behaviors, nothing's going to change. And I didn't, and I didn't change. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. Back in the day, they viewed addiction as uh something a health problem there's something wrong with you mm, that mm. could be cured through hospital mm. hospitalizations and you'll often hear of people back in the day going into the likes of um us back half down in glamour Sarsfields court Sarsfields court where I was, yeah. yeah yeah exactly and i and, and saying dan's up by us mm. that's like it's not like uh um you have the flu or you have another illness that can be cured with hospitalization and medication addiction is much more deeper than that yeah, and look, they've, they've, it's, it's only it's only now recently they've they've you know the dual diagnosis beds are going into fellowship and things like that. You know, this this isn't you know it, it's been you know there's the different models that are out there around addiction. You know, the, like the cool minds and the table lodges and stuff like that. You know, the Minnesota model versus the therapeutic community. Mm. You know, there's all different models there, but you know the, this the dual diagnosis piece has really been looked at no more in a far more positive way. You know, mm. they're they're saying yeah, look, it's there's a, the whole mental health issue there. And like, for me, it was, you know, it took, it took until it was 42, you know, and a, and a you know, a second or third suicide attempt, you know, to, to kind of figure out, you know, hang on, what are we doing here? What age you know, Colin? 52. I actually was doing, we had a, we had a fundraiser for sailing to wellness last week, last Friday week in Dublin, and uh, it was a fantastic event, but. Brent Pope spoke at it with us. You know, he came and spoke for us at the event. And um, but the, what, what before during that week, I kind of realised that it was ten years that week that I was in. Last time I was in psychiatric care, I was in St Stephen's, and it was uh, I had sat in the house in Mallow, and the drugs at that stage and the drink had just kind of uh, my whole life had imploded. And I, uh, I set the house on fire and sat there, you know, waiting to die. Something I'm not proud of because you're, you're, you're taking, you're actually could hurt some other people as well. And that, you know, you know? thinking like that, like, but you, you don't think, do you? you know, you don't think you don't, you know, I suppose when you're like that, you, you just want whatever pain you're going through to stop. Hmm. And if you're caught up in addiction, anyhow, you're going to be caught up in yourself, hmm. which is complete selfishness. Of the, the of the self and, yeah. and and why why you feel the way you do, um, and the last thing on your mind is yourself or any other person. Mm. So it's completely understandable why people go to damn kind of the extremes. Mm. Extremes is exactly it. You know, and and everything about when you get to a certain point in addiction, everything is about extremes. You know, it's never enough. Mm. There's there's never enough coke. There's never enough drink. You know, like that was, you know, someone, someone, my well, my dad was very good to, to me after. You know, because you're the, the the one thing you're left with when, in addiction when when you do find start to find recovery is family because you know it's like this inverted pyramid. Mm. You know, you've all these people, all these things when you when you start, and then as you drop down, you, 
it gets worse and worse and all you're left with is yourself mm. but when you come back up the first thing you see is your family yeah you know and my dad and my mom were, were amazing to me you know and yeah they, you know they, they asked me like he said, I don't understand this you know my dad's you know different generation he's 80 this year like he didn't, he didn't, you know what's with this cocaine thing you know mm-hmm. and I said you know dad you have a few points and you're, you're a bit of a buzz and you're, you know you're in great form and that now imagine multiplying that by 50 mm-hmm. that's cocaine but I said you're 50 times higher <laughs> but you'll crash 50 times worse mm. you know what was it like inside in, uh, Southfield's Court Hospital on a day to day basis or are you, are you heavily medicated no I, like, I, I was on antidepressants for about 10 years in total right um, and you know if I, I, I was kind of started to observe things inside there you know it was, there was, you know, the way, you know, you Cork people get a laugh and things. Like, we were just, I, I, I laughed in there. I actually said to somebody, I said, I was the only person to ask because I was too happy, you know, because I just, we found humor in things, you know, and in, in the situations we were in. But, uh, you know, it was mundane. It was, you know, it, you, you, you see that the, the, when the team, the psychiatric team were coming around twice a week, you know, Bobby Burns, <clears throat> and the team were coming around and you could see the tension rising in the place you know it's palpable you know and people getting angry because they weren't going to be left out they knew they weren't, like lads were in there for quite a while you know are you, are you, are you, are you physically kept there then in Sarsfield's court is it is it one of those kind of psychiatric wards where no, you're actually f- you, you can't leave well you know you're you're, you're certain certain people were couldn't leave you know there's another uh, i forget there's another unit up actually near st anne's i think it's a carrick more yeah that's the lock unit you know if you were i know a couple of guys were taken out of there that were put up in carrick because like they were just unmanageable inside unit three i think we were you know and it's 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 a difficult place to be and like you know for years you feel shame mm-hmm. because of it you know You'd feel shame that you were in there. You'd feel shame when you come out. You, you couldn't tell anyone, you know, that you were. Mm. You'd break down or you, you felt that, or it was, you know, for, for can't cope emotionally with pro- or with any problems because you were self-medicating, you know. When you, when you, when you break it down for someone and, they, you know, you try to tell them, you know, if you, if you can park the substance for a while and deal with the emotional stuff, you know, you, you have some hope you know but as you said to me you, you, you know when you're in that space you know you're liable to do anything do you know do, do you think that the addiction brought on the mental health or vice versa that's the chicken and egg situation I've often mm. thought about yeah good I think, question yeah I often thought was it the so, was it the, the social anxiety first and foremost that started it yeah. I, I put it down to social anxiety mm. you know and you know that you know it's an addictive substance. There's, so, a, it, there's it. It's a really, really good question. It's like the nature and nurture question. Yeah, it's such a good question. But I think as a human being grows away from the addiction and the mental health later on, and they learn about psychology and and their own life and their childhood and stuff, and and mm. the effects of of certain traumas in their lives as a child. I think you're getting closer to a, a point in your life where you could say, you know what, maybe that's why I, I use drugs is because I, I, this happened or that didn't happen or I didn't get enough of this, you know. Mm. We'll, it, it's, it's only something you can really say when you get to a point in life where you're educated enough and you know your own self and you know you can understand it, you can actually put your finger, because I can, I can, I can actually put like my mental health was my mental health was actually very very poor before I touched a drink Mm. and drinking drugs then suited me for a long long time until like I saw they didn't work anymore and Mm. I was I was going to die from the use of alcohol and drugs or maybe a crash or somebody taking my life over altercation or something you know Mm. Yeah, but look, you know, now for me, it's about the language you use around addiction and, and around mental health. 
Like if you're trying to teach someone to take responsibility for their own mental health, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's you're, you have to support them to do that. You know, we, we're we're over reliant. I know on the medical model on, on on medication and things like that, but there there is a, I think we can. Along with the addiction model, I think we can add in programs that add value and, and can help support programs and, and support people and and, and through that. But it's all about that person taking responsibility initially to, to to find you know to to take the help to ask for help, you know, and that's the hardest part. Mm. The hardest part I've often I've often thought about it. You know, we we look at um, suicide, right? And you know we had the the darks into light there Saturday I think it was and, and you know but there's the thousands of people that have lost their lives to suicide right and but there's there's so many people that have like myself and others maybe yourself Timmy and, and you know people have been through mental health mm. you know uh, bad mental health episodes and and through life experiences that you know there's people like us there's and people that have are, that are are struggling right then there's the people or there's the services like the likes of Pieta House and all these different services and then there's the people who've gone right but there's there's that gap in the middle between that person who's struggling going to the services and I think that there's more needed from that like a peer support network mm, yeah. to help people in that area that you know to talk to people that have you know and they're trying to bring it in but very gradually to talk to people in that have a life experience that could be relevant to someone else that they can relate to you know I've done a program to something similar to what you, you just said there, um, a GROW program. Mm. I've done it within the prison setting where we had a guy that suffered men his mental health and, and he tried to take his own life and um, he brought in a room full of prisoners and he spoke about it. And before we knew it, every one of us were after dropping our guard because mm. he explained his story. And we start speaking to him about our own difficulties around our mental health. And I heard guys speaking about us that don't even talk on the landing or are in the school. And they'd start opening up and saying, yeah, and, and how did you get away from that? And how did you feel? And what did you do? And he just said, all I done was I contacted this this group growing and they gave me tools and they gave me people mm -hmm. to speak to you know, and it makes a lot of sense. It's like the AA model and the NA model. When you can relate to somebody else who's gone through the same thing, you know, you don't feel on, you're on your own anymore. But it still involves them going to grow. Yeah, it yeah. still involves them reaching out, right? Yeah. It's about trying to connect with people so that you will get them to go to that service. You know, that's my point. It's, mm. it's you know, like podcasts doing things like this it's it's a way to get people to actually say oh you know i was the same i was like that guy's age not yeah. the same kind of problems mm. you know you, we're talking about grow up here at host it's you know it's amazing the amount of people that, that don't know where to reach out for help i know you know how did you uh, manage to reach out how did you get yourself into recovery <laughs> i'm bobby burns the psychiatrist one above in um lovely man above in well, St. Stephen's, and he said to me, he said, Colin, it's about time now you had to look at the old drinking drugs, you know, really have a look at it. And I think, you know, you're get. I got to a point anyway, at that stage, where sitting in the house doing what I did and getting taken to the hospital, that was the final time 10 years ago, it was kind of a cathartic experience mm. where it was kind of, it was surreal that I was in the, actually, you, you know, you're, there's nothing. I'm left with nothing. Now I'm sitting there. Family, everyone kind of, you know, you know they don't want to talk to me because, they, you know, they tried to help. And I tried, you know, you get to that point where it's just, you're ground zero, you know, you're just, there's nothing. We've all been there. Yeah. So you're kind of going, where, what do I do? You know? And when I, when I reached out, um, I started ringing around and, I just said, right. So I got some help from a, a girl in Mallow and she said, she got me some numbers and she gave me, um, I got onto Tabor Lodge. So I did the, the program down there for 28 days. 
and that that was the the turning point for me. Without a shadow of a doubt. Can I just ask you? Yeah. When were you there? Two thousand twelve. What 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 month? June. I was there in January two thousand twelve. Oh yeah. Yeah. February. I went in in February two thousand twelve. Did you see it, Timmy was there burnt into the sea then? <laughs> <laughs> I, was in, I saw him the stairs, but I'm alright. I, I was in, Jesus fuck it, it's 10 years around. And then he was at the Lodge. Fuck it, because when I was in the Lodge, I, you might be able to relate to this. Now, I already said this to a group of students the other day. We have Mick Devine coming on the podcast in a few weeks, actually. Have we? We do, yeah. Don't, yeah. Do you know when you're going through the group and you're all there and ah, you're all trying to help each other and you're all fucked, basically. <laughs> you're all, you, you fucked, like. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they're all talking about the priest. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm saying to myself, I'm saying, I'm saying, right, this fucking priest, no. And every time someone comes out of the priest, they have these big red eyes and I'm saying, they're all crying, you know, and they're asked, like, they're after getting away from me, and I'm saying, God fucking hell, how in the name of God am I going to make myself cry inside in this place, like, so I'm inside in the priest, now, and the priest is talking to me for half an hour, James, right, telling me about how to do this and do that, and whatever, and I'm saying, yeah, I hadn't the foggiest, what he said. The only thing, I was trying to make myself cry like the rest of them got out the door before me. <laughs> I was trying to make myself cry and think about things that happened to me in my life where some emotion might come out. I was completely numb. That's yeah. my point. I was completely numb. It mm. didn't matter what he said to me. Yeah. It was never going to happen. You know, the only thing that was really getting to me, touching me deep at the time were my, my, my children, you know, my daughter. Because she was four and she didn't understand her daddy being taken away from her and that broke me yeah, yeah. completely, like, you know, broke me. And and that's what pushed me into the, my recovery. I wrote a letter to my daughter ten and a half years ago in that centre and I carry her around in my wallet everywhere I go still. Yeah, cool. You know? Um, Do you ever read it to her? I, I, I don't read it to her. I always read it to myself. When when I'm changing my wallet and I'm, I'm taking it out and I look at it, re- I'll read it someday. She has never read it. Like she has never read it. Yeah, maybe she, she hasn't. She was a baby. But well, was that your moment then? That was my moment. Like when I wrote that, I was I used to be in tears. I was in tears writing it, and uh, I done it for my children. I done it for her and my wife, and my little boy. I didn't do it for me at the start. You know, I was in a lot of pain, like you said there. I had nowhere to turn. I lost everything. And I know it was up. I know it was game over. It was game over. Like. Was Bernard there that time? Bernard was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bernard Bar, and... Bar. Bar, yeah. Bar, yeah. He's up Fellowship House now. Is he? Yes. Yeah. They only, only built the extension onto the building. I think I was the first one of the clients to go from the main house into the building. All right. We had a guy, I always tell you this story. There was a guy in my room. He was a snorer. If he's listening to this, no, he probably knows who he is. <laughs> He literally, literally, no, right? The walls were shaking with the snore of this fella. I swear to God, Colin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so bad. I had to go into this room, in the bathroom with my mattress and lay down, and I could still hear, just like the walls rattling. I went down to the north one night, and I said, you better get me out of that room. I can't handle this, like. I was losing my sleep, and I wasn't doing yeah. too well with my own head. And the two days they moved me over into this place. I had my own bed on. Sure, I'd fucking, I had to go up and through the, the staff room, up the stairs in the staff That's room right, to yeah, get yeah. up into it. I was weak for myself inside this place. <laughs> but it was a good program. It, it got me to look at myself, and I'm still sober and clean to that day since I went over. It's there. short but effective. It is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a different model, obviously, to therapeutic model, like who mine use, to yeah. Minnesota model. Like, but I found that. It, it, look, it, it doesn't matter the program, it's all about people who you meet in your life, in, mm. in this journey, you know. It really is. It's about the people you meet in the journey. And for me, Burr, Burr, I'll never forget, Burr came up one day and he, I, he says, remember they gave you the blue book and the, the, the big Bob, Bill yeah. and Bob book, right? But they were out of the, the, the blue book, so they gave me the Bill and Bob. And I was looking at this, I was going, huh? you know, I just wasn't getting it. And, and Barner came to me, he said, Blue book at all because he was chatting to me after me in a group. He said, Do you get the blue book? I said, No. He said, Hang on a minute. So he came out and he gave me a page 
and humility, all right? Okay, and it's about being humble, all right? And he gave me the blue book. And then I started reading the blue book, the NA book. And I just, it just, it was like this wave of kind of knowledge came over me that, hang on, you're in here, right? Really was, it was that like that. And it was like, do you know what they, they talk about, the, you know, the, you know, the, the connection and, and just, you know, higher power and things. And, and I just found it. I, there was something happened on a particular day and it was like my soul had re-entered my body. It was like I just connected with myself again. Because you lose connection with yourself. You're just, right. you know, you're, you're, you know, I always say, like, you know, you know, people say, you know, you know, he's a shell of a man. You know, I was that you're a shell because you're totally disconnected from yourself, the world around you. You know, it's all, you know, you're just stuck in here in your head. And when I did. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When, that, when I got that connection, it just, things, I just, all of a sudden, things actually just started to go, slow down a small bit. You know, that racing brain from the addictive mind, you know, kind of just started to slow. I remember leaving there and I said, I ain't coming back here, you know. I'm not coming back here again. You know, and I think look, I, it wasn't per- perfect. I relapsed. I did. You know, there was no perfection in this in this game, but there was learning in all of it. You know? What was life like when you got out? Tough. Early recovery is a bastard, isn't oh, it? Fucking hell. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. You know, the, when I was in early recovery, all the treatment, the social anxiety that you speak about, that fear, mm. like that, fucking hell. For about six months, I'd say, just afraid and insecure and just mm. uneasy in my own skin, you know. So after about six or seven months then, I started to notice that I'm actually gone. I felt okay to go to the shop and to go to the gym and to meet people mm. and to go into a meeting. But I think, you know, going into a meeting daily, opening your mouth when your body's, when your head is telling you, no, doing the chair when you don't want to do it and getting involved in the service. That gives you some coping skills that helps you later on in life, you know? It's very important to get involved in the fellowship that way, isn't it? Oh, it is, and, and like, I, I've, I've said it, like, you know, I, I said it in meetings. I don't go to many meetings now, like, because of the work I'm doing now, but I've sat there and I've got to say, do you know what? Sometimes I'm actually grateful I'm an addict because of how I, because I wouldn't have learned the life lessons yeah. or how to treat myself unless I was in with my peers in addiction. Exactly. You know? There's, there's, you know, a 12 step program is, you know, you can break it down. You can, you can, whatever way you want to look at it. It's a program for life. Mm. It's a program for living, you know, and depending how you use it and depending how you look at it. And I just found that there's, there's elements of you use, there's elements you won't use, but I found it to be, you know, NA was, I found, you know, it's an, it's an amazing organization. I wasn't great for the, the I wasn't big in the AA, but the NA I really connected with, mm. I connected with the rooms. I used to, you know, I used to go to the, the Dominican on a Saturday. That was my meeting. That was my home meeting. You know, I used to go there every Saturday. I used to live for it. Yeah, it was a good meeting. It is a good meeting. Yeah. And you know what I used to like as well about NA? Do you know the, the NA book? Mm. Do you know the, the personal stories at the back of it? Mm. 
I remember reading them and thinking like, you know what, I can relate with this. This is where I belong because this is like my story, you know. But what? Talk to me about the sailing into wellness. How did you get involved in that? <sighs> I was standing one day. I was going to the Dominican meeting on a Saturday and there was an Irish international man. Ireland were playing England. Rugby. Right? Rugby, right? So I went into, oh, it's closed now. It's opened again. No, no, it's not a bar down one of the side streets off off of uh, Albert Plunkett Street. But the Tormund. I think it was the Tormund actually. Was Waxy's the other But I was in there and I was looking at the guy. I looking at the match, and lads stood beside me, and he was from drums. Charlie, no, not Charlie, right? Charlie doesn't mind me talking about. But (laughs) that Charlie, that was Paul, is it? Hmm. Paul. No. Oh. Char- or, you, know, you know, he's in the rooms, Charlie. He's a friend of ours. He's a friend of mine. And um, Charlie, anyway, he said to me, he says, um, we just started chatting. I said, Charlie, you're going to meet me at three o'clock. And <laughs> just started chatting to him. Male talk to anyone. Like, and I started chatting away. And he says, I said, what do you do? And he says, I'm sailing. Bit of sailing. He says, all right. That's what I use for his, for his, for his head. So he said, do you want to ever go sailing? I said, I can't swim. You know, I said, I hate deep water. And he, and he goes, well, look, come out and try it anyway. And uh, went for one little trip from, I think it was Baltimore up to Crosshaven. And I just, the first time I was out there, it was just like my brain just started to slow down. Mm. Right. And there's, there's, there's actually scientific evidence around the whole ions in the air and what it does for your mood and things like that, you know, and there's books written on it and, but then I started to do a couple of deliveries and going here and there and off down to France and Spain on a boat. And, you know, <laughs> I wasn't pottering on Cork Arbor or anything like that or down in Kinsale, just off doing deliveries. And people say, you can't swim. I said, but I was told it's not much good to you when you're 300 miles offshore anyway, so you might as well, you know, go anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> off I went. And I found it to be the most therapeutic ton- thing I'd ever done. Mm. Bar any talk therapy, bar any, you know, the rooms are fantastic, everything, but this was something that actually really, it was this, people ask me, trying to describe what we do in Sailing to Wellness, this, it's, it's, we create a safe space for people to challenge themselves in a new environment, right? Because it's challenging, you're going on the water, you're in a different environment, right? And it's totally alien to people, right? And they go, you know, you've seen the lads going up. Yeah. And it's that whole thing about fear, you know, what, Fear is, you know, the two, two of the things that that really join addiction and mental health together are fear and vulnerability, right? For me, right? I see it in in the work we do now, and the the fear, you know, when when you, the, you know, addiction and fear and addiction will will cripple you, right? Because you know people drink on it and people, you know, they use on it, they use they self medicate. It could be over a trauma, it could be anything, right? And mental health is the same. You know, you're, you're, you're crippled by fear, you know? Going into a psychiatric unit, you know, medication, you want to get medicated because you can't cope with things, right? So it's fear and vulnerability. And like, when you get someone in addiction or for, with, that's struggling with mental health onto the boat, onto a boat with us, you're, they're overcoming a fear just by stepping on board, right? And by taking part, okay? And... The big thing about what, what I, I've said to groups and, 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 and talked to lads about vulnerability, because no matter how hard they are, right, or how, where they've come from, they, there's vulnerability, they feel vulnerable. Because in, and in addiction, right, if you show vulnerability, it's like showing weakness, and someone will take advantage of that vulnerability. Mm. So we just, I, I just talk about, you know, like it's, you can feel vulnerable here because you, you, dip, you, know, because you can feel safe, you can trust us. You can trust the staff. You can trust with the boat. Learning to trust is a big part of a positive recovery, you know? So everything we do with the different organizations we work with is adding value to that person's recovery. And you know what I think as well it does? Do you know, mindfulness. Yeah. Mindfulness is not just about closing your eyes. No. And, to, you know, it, it can be a skill that you have to learn. But, you know, when you're out on a boat and you don't have no phone or devices, you're at sea. It's it's like a you fast track your way to mindfulness because you, hmm. you're 
you just have to f- uh, you're just focused on this rope mm. and that knot and this mast you're just in the moment because mm. you have to be in the moment to be present and then when it, it, when things go if things go calm if and when things go calm then it's just you're you're at sea it's like um I don't know if you're meditating you're putting on the sounds of the ocean mm. but this time you're actually lying in the ocean rocking with the waves listening to the birds listening to the sea it's like to give people a little glimpse of what peace is when they you know like a lot of the like we went down there with our organization recently cool mine mm. in cork and with sheila and the cork alliance a few mutual service users you know and it's just like people are in their chaotic lives and then you put them out at sea it just gives them a little glimpse into what life might be like mm. with a bit of peace you know and it might it might like like for you it might um you give them a new experience that they may never have had. Salem was the last thing I, you know, because we're, we're from the city and I don't know anybody that sells. Mm. But when you give somebody a new experience and give them a little glimpse of what peace might be like, then maybe like you, maybe you spark an interest. Maybe they find their niche. But it's, it's about changing the environment as well. You know, I take them out there, the normal environment. When, when people are out in the boat and they're looking back at the land, it's kind of, you're changing their perspective on things, you know. And you know, look, we we've we've built in CRA into, as a therapeutic model into what we do, you know. So we gather evidence as well. So it's not just about taking people sailing. We it's evidence approach, and we've got all the anecdotal stuff and people that, you know, even with cool mind, they've seen that lads who've done the, say the, the voyages of recovery with us, you know. There's the percentage of people that are staying clean are far higher. So, in, integrating our program into existing programs like cool mind. Is having a positive effect on their output and 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 having better outcomes. I took some, um, I got some uh, testimonies from some of the people that did it with us uh, anonymously mm-hmm. that I'm going to play at the end of this podcast. So when the people are listening to this, at the end they'll hear some of the testimonies of people mm-hmm. that did it to see how you know. So that that'll be a nice little accompanying piece to this. And you just we have to give credit too to. Um, the likes of the National Lottery, the Probation Service, the Cork mm. City Council, because they're the ones that give us the grants and they're the people that allow us to, you know, um, like your social enterprise. So you need funding to run and we need funding to bring people down to it, you know what I mean? But I think, I, you know, when I, when I was able to see the last time now, you know what I was thinking? I'd love for me, Timmy and Ron to do it with a few of the patrons for us all to do it. And I'd love to do an overnight or a weekend or something. Can that you sleep on the boat? Mm. You can sleep. Yeah, we do. We do two programs. We do a day sailing program, which the lads did know. And you know, it's it's a lot of what we could only do for the last two years. But where we see the real kind of uh, in depth kind of and 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 you know better outcomes with, with and, you know, for people is when we do the voyages of recovery. You know, and, and Cool Mine were the first organisation we really did a big one with a few years ago. You know, and it was it's been they were the you know, work, working with Paul Hatton and Joe Buckley, who was there at the time, you know, yeah. they were the catalyst for, for, for a lot of the work we, we're doing now, you know. And and what we, when you take people on the kind of the two and three day, two, two, say three days and two nights, you know, they're, they're, they become like, I, I say to them when they come on the boat, I said, so, okay, so you, this is your trip. This is your voyage. So you're going to run the boat, you know. It's don't you, so you get involved in provisioning the boat, meals, prep, what you know, you send me in your, your the list of food that you want to prepare. You know the three meals a day, and, and you know they get involved in the watches and and looking after the boat, helming and trimming sails and and where the navigation, where we're going to go, and they get involved in the destination. And, and so there's it's a very involved process. And you know when you're on the boat, you're you're all there together. You can't you can't. I'm going home. You can't get off. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and and it's. You, you see guys and girls getting off taller, literally taller, because their self-esteem, their self-confidence, everything changes, you know? And you've taken away some of that fear and vulnerability around around things that they, you know, around, because they're, they're, they're working as a team. They're building resilience, you know? They're showing leadership skills because they're pushing themselves forward to do something they would not normally have done, you know? So there's there's so much in it that you don't see you know, but it, they're the little things, the building that's the self-esteem and the self-confidence and that those are critical in a person's recovery, early recovery, coming out of say Cool Mind or Tiglin or whatever the other organizations we work with. That's critical for them that they have 
obviously the work that they've done within the organization, within the, the treatment program, but also adding in what we do, you know, and really reinforces the program, mm. you know, and it's, we've proven it works. We've proven the concept works, you know? So when you talk about funders there, you know, you have to be around a few years for them to kind of say, oh, they're still here. So <laughs> we'll start funding them more, you know, yeah. but we're starting to get that recognition now, you know, and you know, we're still, we're out there fighting for funds every day, you know, it's, Myself and James have two different titles. You met James as well, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James is Captain Spreadsheet, and I'm Captain Fantastic. You know, so, <laughs> so, so I get warned not to come along with a fund with a funding application three days before it's due. You know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But uh, but what, what, what you know, if organisations are listening or people are listening, how do they get involved? Or well, you know, it's we're we're like this year we've we've become a national organisation because we're we're in you know we're we'll be. This year we'll be from Carlingford Lock all the way down the east coast, right around so Cork, Kerry, and we're going to be all the way up to Galway this year. You know, so we got we got a we're very fortunate to get a through Mental Health Ireland there recently. We got a fund to to run two pilots in Kerry and Galway. Brilliant. So we hope to work with organisations up there fairly soon. So, yeah, if organisations want to get involved, it's the uh, sailingintowellness.ie is the website and uh, you're based down in the Trident by yeah. the Trident and Kinsale yeah so we're, that's where the office is that's where the office you know. and do you know the boats I just mm. question on the boats mm. Say I'm going to get you out on the boat to me I'm going to get yeah, you out no no <laughs> I, I would actually I'm only off a ship there uh, about three weeks and it was an amazing experience in its own right yeah yeah you know, I know it's not the same but just to be able to see it's very peaceful for me. Yeah, yeah. Really, really peaceful. Um, because I can really uh, appreciate just that that stillness and and everything that's there in front of you and just how it should be. Mm. You know, that's my belief. Is that's exactly how we should be. You know, just like the water, just floating through life, not really getting caught up in anything. But how are human beings? That's a complex argument. We won't get there. <laughs> yeah. But um. For us, boats, okay, are the boats donated to or do you have to buy them? Are, like, are you willing to take more boats if people, like, yeah, what, would, what, I, would offer you something? No, what the way it works, so we, we bought two, they're called Hawk 20s, right? They're, they're, we've got them on trailers, right? So I, I, So what we do is we bring them to different locations around the country because not every place would have access to the kind of boats that we need to, to do the work we do right so the hawk 20s are similar to the boats you used and can yeah. sail the 1720s and what the, you do we work with small groups right so we get better outcomes right so you can you can do more the, people feel more involved right than working with 20 people or five boats or whatever so we work with two boats small groups and those boats we bought last year right and we were luck, very lucky last year as well to be given a uh a grant to buy yachts through um, through Sport Ireland. Okay. So we got a the sports capital grant. Brilliant. You know, so they're recognizing the work we're doing, and for, and and you know, huge thanks to them. And we're we're in the process of trying to buy a substantial boat at the moment that we can, you know, that will sleep maybe twelve. It'll take a bit of work to get to that, but it, we you know it's it'll be with crew and everything will sleep twelve people, and that's sort of eight clients and staff and and four of us or, or three of us and you know nine. Mm people from an organization and but I've, I've said this and I've, I'll say it again I, I haven't said it here but on many occasions like it's it's not about the boats right you can be any boat it's about the people who've worked for us yeah okay. you know that's hugely important to me and James you know that you know we've some marvelous staff of Tessa who came on full time with us this year now yes. Tessa Kingston yeah. I remember the other fella from uh, Dripsy Connor no, that's who we were with. Yeah, yeah, lovely Connor. people. They're they're amazing, you know, and they 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 love the work we do, and they they've got the the empathy and the understanding to work with. We like because we work not just with the addiction recovery model. Now we we piloted. We're working with um with young people and ch children and young people with autism and their families. So we we piloted that in two thousand two years ago, and it's usually successful. We've got funding through Irish Sailing to run programs this year. So we're going to run a big program in Cork. And a big program in Dublin this year, and that's been hugely successful for kids. That's for children with autism. Yeah, on, that's, or, on, that's and, and young adults on the spectrum as well. And it's been a fantastic program, really has. I want to give a shout out to Andrew Fedor, who's on my team in. Ah, uh, uh, Andrew. And, Andrew's sixty years of age from Wales, gentleman. Uh, yeah. He's on my team in Coomain, but 
he was part of the initial startup of, he was. of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. He's uh, into the sea and activities and stuff like that. And he was doing this kind of off his own back and then he connected with James Lines yeah. and then they started up that, you know? So it just goes to show like what Paul McCarthy says to us, like what you're doing now is amazing. It's national and you're helping so many people, but it all starts with a thought. What is it? And an idea over <laughs> a cup of coffee. And look what you can grow. Yeah, it. it's amazing. Yeah, but it's... It, Look, my idea again that the, the th I went to James with this, right? And I said, <laughs> and he still regrets it. But <laughs> I, I, it was how can we help people in a different way? How can we? Because everyone comes out of Table Lodge or, or Kumai, I want to be a counselor. <laughs> I know, it's cliche. <laughs> Don't you know when I was in early recovery? Everybody was being a fitness instructor. <laughs> yeah. They were all out in the tennis footage. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. else fucking, you know, and. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so but the thing is, there's I I I kind of flipped it and I said right, you know, when the sailing and you know, the recovery through nature piece. That's I I learned more about that through Joe Joe Buckley and Cool Mind. You know, Joe was you know because he brought that in up there. I think it was Joe and Paul Hatton. You know, they the whole recovery through nature piece as part of the therapeutic community. And I learned a lot through them. And you know, it, it's this has been a lot of trial and error as well to find you know even the right evaluation model and things like that. Like the CRA sits brilliantly with it because Jerry above and Jerry Ryan and TRP in Dublin. You know, he's huge support. Which is the community reinforcement approach. Yeah. For helping people in early recovery. Yeah. I had in a conversation today with a service somebody working in the service down in Mallow, Sliella. Did you ever hear them? Yeah. Uh, it's like a residential treatment centre, but it's for people with mental health. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, it's all because country, yeah. I often thought, like, we're blessed that we actually had an addiction because there was somewhere for us to go. But you know, if you had a mental health issue without the addiction, you've limited options. Yeah. But this is an option for people in, uh, it's in Mallow. Like, I know, and, yeah, I know. Actually, and it's a therapeutic there. community yeah. model as well, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, it's up to 18 months for people you know, so it's residential just care. residential treatments it's a treatment center but it, you, it's a farm and they do a social enterprise and you can go out during the day and you get the weekends out and that as well but it's just like a treatment center but you don't have to have addiction it's just a few mental health issues like but it's an option for people as well you know? it is, yeah, Sounds interesting. yeah I, there's i've never heard of anything actually like we might get them on if they're listening yeah, yeah. they, they might want to come on and talk to us about there, it, it uh, we, i remember I, I did a course in ucc it was um mental health in the community and um, we went down there to actually to, to see them, you know, church zone and uh, fantastic. You know, it's a fantastic place. And, and uh, you know, some of the clients they have in there, they're there for a while. And, and like that, you know, the, the mental health services in the country, we can complain, you can complain about the government don't put enough money into something. Or that, but I think we need to, we need to relook at, look at how we can help. They're, they're looking at the community, mental health in the community now and, and you know, how we can help people. Uh, you know, through the local services and in the primary care units and stuff like that. But I think there's there's a lot of value to be had from, you know, peer groups like the likes of Grow, you know, and, and things like that that can... We, we need to just change up how we can actually engage with people, how we bring them into the services, how we bring them into actually to... to, to because, like I said, the whole shame thing around mental health you know, I hate the word stigma. I just hate it. But, you know, this, you know, the whole thing about mental health is that, you know, and, and people use the analogy, like, you know, if you broke your arm, you go, you know, what happens? You go to the hospital, you broke your arm. But what if, if you have mental health issues, you know, what do you do? You go to the doctor, you see a therapist, you know, but, but you know, they're, they're, they're not as accessible as they should be, obviously. But the, the conversation around, you know, and, and there's a few advocates for this out there, like, you know, the, we need to change how we look at mental health, you know. I think we, you know, just the conversation around it, there needs to be more conversation around it, around just normalising it, you know. We need to normalise it because it's the only way we're going to get people to actually, where you'll actually reduce the number of suicides, where you'll actually take work that these overwork services like Pierre the House, you'll reduce it because if it becomes normalised, and where do you do that? It's through education, you know. So it's what they're doing. It's with kids in school, you know. It's you know there, there has to be, they have to, gonna have to start bringing in this course where okay today it's life skills, you know. How do you deal with this situation? How do yeah. you deal with that situation? What happens in this? And and it's also very important to leave to tell kids that it's actually okay to talk about stuff like that. Mm. 
because it's it's not talking about in a lot of our family homes. So if 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 you can tell kids, children we're in the school environments, and I believe mindfulness should be taught as well mm. as a module within mm. all schools to teach children at their level something very very simple, maybe sport or something that they enjoy and teach them to, and kind of open it in a little bit as we go further. But I think we need to start educating children around the importance of how easy they can just access any form of help anytime they want. And we need to start talking about it for them to believe that it's okay. Mm. And when that starts happening in schools and stuff, I think there will be a massive change as well around yeah. the numbers of suicides because the rat, the lad, the, the hopelessness that people see when their mental health is really, really bad, and all they can see is taking their own life. Mm. Like there might be something else there. Like if if they they might go back to a course that they were doing in in school and. Uh, mm-hmm. that there's this service here and no matter what it is it can be sorted it can be fixed and plant the seed like and mm-hmm. then when they're ready to tap into the information that they learned down through the years but um you know if we wanted to take the three of us myself timmy and Rome, wanted to take three or four patrons that you know um donate to the podcast uh, through patreon you know they pay the rent and stuff if we wanted to take them on an overnight trip could we organize that with you mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do something, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So we'll have a chat about that. So yeah, yeah, when we yeah. finish there yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, get, we'll, we'll get the funding off somebody. <laughs> God will provide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Colin. You too, lads. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I love the name, Sailing Into Wellness. Yeah. It's yeah. a great name, whoever came up. does exactly yeah. what Did it says on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, mind. and I've had a first-hand experience of it. You know, I did the four-week sailing uh once a week for four weeks, learning the mechanics of sailing and all these things, yeah. as well as the mindfulness side of it. So it was well worth doing. And um, I just you know, encourage anybody to give it a, give it a bash. Yeah, thanks, What's lads. the worst that can happen? Yeah, exactly. It's been a pleasure, Colin. Thanks, lads. Thanks very much. Thanks. And Cheers. best of luck to everybody down in uh, Kinsale. Thanks. It's launch up. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.